The movie was Animal House. I don't know if I'm really dating myself by talking about that movie. And in this woke universe, it's probably wrong on so many levels. But I remember in the movie Animal House, there was a scene where a young man was thinking about taking advantage of a woman who was in an an inebriated state. And he had a devil sitting on one shoulder telling him to do it, do it. And on the other shoulder, he had his better angels telling him to not do the thing which he knew was wrong. I kind of feel I've got those same angels on my shoulder. Now, the the, the context is completely different. It is relating to online marketing. You can take a step back from the cliff that I was walking towards. But on my one shoulder is the Steve Devil, who is saying to me, Steve, there are so many good analytics that you can take advantage of and so many social triggers that you can push to manipulate an audience and to manipulate your community to do exactly what you want them to do. Then on my right shoulder is, is the, is the better Steve angel that says, no, Steve, continue to deliver valuable content, be trustworthy in all that you do, and you will be rewarded. Now we know there's one fact that I, at least I know there's one fact in that, which is the devil one is going to make more money. At the end of the day, there's no question that the devil Steve can make a lot more money than the angel Steve. So I'm constantly torn between the two. Actually, I'm not torn between the two. It's, it's pretty easy for me to decide which way to follow. But nevertheless, there are these two options that all online marketers have. And it's, it's something that I think we all have to pay attention to and recognize that we now have so many tools at our disposal and the ability to push so many different social triggers in our community that it is that we almost, we're almost outgunning our, our audience uh, with the with the technology and the knowledge and the and the tools that we have at our disposal, my guest today is Bosco Anthony, and Bosco and I go way back. Bosco is a marketing consultant that deals with large and small brands, and he is a fantastic storyteller, and he understands the entire concept of campaign marketing as well as anybody I know. Now, Bosco and I, whenever we have the conversation, we always delve into these spaces, into what's right, what we should be doing versus what we can do. So I just recently had an opportunity to spend some time with Bosco, which I think you will be interested in being a fly on the wall and listening to our conversation. He's recently relocated from here where I live in Vancouver, and he's now living down south in Australia. So we don't have an opportunity to chat too often. But when we do, it's usually something pretty interesting. So coming up today on Grey Matters with Steve Dotto, the one, the only, Bosco Anthony. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Grey Matters, the podcast for those of us in the Grey Zone. What is the Grey Zone? Primarily baby boomers and Gen X, those of us sporting a touch of Grey. We're interested in finding our place in the digital age. On this podcast, we will learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, all from our perspective. The world's changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore. We're facing the prospect of a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need a side hustle to take our experience and put it to work for us. We need to develop mad skills, adapt, and evolve in order to remain relevant in the digital age. I can help. This podcast can help. I'm glad you found us. I want to do a quick shout out to those of you who make this podcast, heck, to the entire Dottotech platform possible, and that is our community of support on Patreon. 
Patreon is a crowdfunding service. It's similar to Kickstarter, but for content creators like me. And we've got an amazing community who support us financially, making it possible for us to create this podcast, our weekly tutorials on Webinar Wednesday, our YouTube videos, pretty much everything that we create. So I'm asking you to consider supporting us. There are perks, and the perks are terrific. For our $10 a month patrons, which is the vast majority, the perks include access to our Webinar Wednesday archives, where we have over 100 tutorial webinars on productivity, online marketing, and content creation. And our latest perk is free access to our online course, Don't Retire, Rewire, which teaches baby boomers and Gen X what their online options are for reinventing themselves instead of retiring. The links are all in the show notes below, or just remember, patreon.com slash dottotech. They, I think they want to leverage those conversations, Steve. That's that's what they're really trying to say is they want to leverage uh, those conversations. Look, I, I'm in back-end meetings all the time about how to leverage online, how to build on conversion. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where I feel like the online world is just another platform. You know, we've been doing sales and marketing, and we've been doing it terribly since the 60s during the Mad Men era. And I think... We still have that element with us today. I mean, you and I, whenever we have breakfast together at any conference, we're always plotting, you know, the next biggest launch and, and you know, the, the latest uh, strategies because we feed off of that. So, so, what, so, what's the, so what's the current trends that you're seeing? Is, is the pandemic changing the world as far as, as, far as yes, content absolutely. strategies concerned? I mean, look, uh, the trends that were really big, I think there was about eight of them. Like we're in a visual, audible world right now. So we've moved from text to visual. Another really big one right now is segmentation and how we manage our databases, you know, and having your avatars or your personas, you speak to different personas differently. So well, let's just, before you go into that, you say that we were in this. Let's talk timeframes because we're talking there, what, five? Five, 10 year time frames. I mean, we were in text 15 years ago was, was, was the heyday, maybe even 20 years ago was the heyday of desktop publishing and, and printed content. And then there was this slow shift. We moved into email, kind of got into email marketing, but now Absolutely. the dynamic and, I mean, media is taking With the emergence over. of Alexa and Google Home, um, you know, there's also a lot of keywords that have become audible. So, you know, your search engine traffic isn't just text-based or YouTube-based, it's audible-based too, and it's recording conversations. You just saw me sag with a defeated uh, defeated posture. Because, uh, you know, like trying to stay on top of things, and, and, and you think you're on top of things, and then you throw out, oh, yeah, now we have to deal with these home devices. Devices. Well, it's like, oh, geez, I'm like, gonna... too, right? So essentially, you know, look, we've seen an emergence of podcasts in the last 12 months. I mean, you know, everybody and their dog has a podcast, just like everybody and their dog had apps back in the day. So, um, you know, so yeah, in the last, I would say, two to three years, we're, we're starting to understand segmentation better and, and understand our personas better. And now we're, we're forced to communicate differently to get better results from our email databases. So, you know, how we segment our conversations through chat, through email, through messaging, through promotions and campaigns, that's changed. Um, and if you're still under a rock and you're asking yourself if paid advertising is a myth, it's not. We're in the era of paid advertising. I mean, uh, here's a great example. I was looking up a massage gun 
on you know online because you can't go see a masseuse right now i went i went to go look at these massage guns that basically you know you can basically massage yourself and i was like okay you know this is cool it's a new concept you know and so i looked it up online and within 20 minutes steve i started seeing ads on instagram on facebook on this massage gun so let me ask you this is is our data really private no is our browsing history private zero and so algorithmically we are being customized to receiving an influenced ad based on our dynamics it, it's kind of like the story of westworld that we're watching right now this this tv show that's coming to life i mean we're our narratives are being controlled by algorithms and and i'm i'll probably be the first to say this right now openly and say is it scary yes do we survive on it yeah kind of you know contextually our messaging has changed our narrative has changed how we how we put out our content isn't just based on eyeballs and and metrics it's based on conversion that's our key factor right now okay so let's let's <laughs> take a step back from the edge <laughs> <laughs> talk about things that we have control over our own marketing campaigns and and things that we're doing so you you started out by talking you 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 dropped a, a really juicy pearl right. when you talked about paid traffic because right. that is something that i have never done a lot of but i've got a lot of respect for when it works yeah, well I, I mean i'm in that world um i, I want to say i did buy the massage gun and i bought it from a social media recommendation after I browsed for it. So I went on Amazon and I was looking at different rates and then I ended up seeing the ad and I ended up seeing an ad that said, um, I'd save this amount of money if I bought if I bought the ad and it was shipping to Australia at the time. And so I ended up buying the, buying the massage gun through an ad after having four touch points. Yeah, four touch points. So it was Amazon, Instagram, Facebook, and then I went back to um, a, a Google ad that had the um, the discount. And that's when I looked at the price points and I was like, okay, I'm getting a better deal. Well, I think 80% of people, I think it's up to 80% now are looking at value and how much they're saving. And there, here's a little trick. If you look at Best Buy, you look at all these electronical you know, device websites, or even if you're in a store like Costco or Best Buy, you notice that they put this little thing that says was this much and it's now this much and you're saving that much in value, why do you think they're doing that? They're manipulating your influence factor. And so advertising right now has become, you know, influential, but it's also manipulative. And I know this because I'm in that world. So yeah, I think, you know, digital ad space has is, is allowed us to have better reach, um, but it's allowed us to, here's my theory on advertising. It was built by design. So the first concept of this, and I want, you, I want you to think about this, advertising was built by design because do you really think the guys at Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all these other places said, let's create a network where everybody gets to seize everybody's organic post? Or do you think they sat there and said, let's leverage this. Let's give, let's give them 2% access to their content and feed. Let's control their access. And then let's make a living advertising out of it. I don't, I don't know if they had that much forethought one way or the other. I, I, I think in a lot of ways they probably stumbled into it. But you make a great point. And, it, and as a marketer, as a content marketer myself, it causes me some concern about recognizing and still wondering if there's still a place for a simpler play, if there's still a place for people that just you know are good communicators and don't want to get into the manipulated, manipulation side of the entire ad paid traffic game and and you know structuring your ads and structuring your content 
so strategically as to be manipulative, but there's still a place to just have conversations. Well, Steve, you're a ca- you're an optimist. I'm a cautious optimist, and the difference is this, right? And I I feel that marketers ruin everything. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk said this once, and 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 look at look at something like LinkedIn right now. So I logged in today, and I'm listening to our good friends Vivica, and and Melanie and and Shane Gibson all talking about how LinkedIn has now created stories and how they feel like the approval process of uh, you know going LinkedIn Live and stuff has to be approved. And some of the people that need to be approved aren't being approved. And people that have pitches or selfies of themselves are being approved on LinkedIn. Why is LinkedIn peer pressured to follow the same uh, functionalities as Facebook? You know, And that's because marketers are going, hey, listen, we need to catch up with the other people. Why is Facebook right now creating Facebook rooms to try to catch up with Zoom? You know what I mean? So. Oh. So my, my thing is, is are we building functionality based on usability or on peer pressure? And so, you know, when you have a market in the room and you build your business by design through marketing, that's what you're going to end up having. We're evil. I think one of the things that I kind of cleave to is the fact that we know that through just good marketing, through good advertising, through good list segmentation, through, through the, all of the science that you're talking about, you can sell almost anything. You can be profitable. But you don't have to go that route. It doesn't have to be like that. You, there's st- I, I believe that there still has to be a place for community building, for marketing, which is softer of uh, softer and, uh, and less manipulative and more inclusive and based on conversations, you know, based on answering questions, solving problems, and more, a more intimate business. Now, maybe ultimately won't be as profitable, but it will probably be far more satisfying a business to run. You coined it as ethical marketing. I remember going to a conference once, and you and I were both speaking about it. And uh, I, I took the I took the anti marketing approach, and I was the you know antagonist at the time. And I sat back and I actually looked at that presentation. I actually watched the whole keynote. Thought you were phenomenal there. And I actually ended up leaving and agreeing with you, going, there is room for ethical marketing. And it's, it's it, especially at this time when we have so much fear and paranoia and we have, you know, people coming from a place of fear as opposed to love. We need ethical marketing. We need marketing that's based on serving and not greed. Um, that's That's our sustainability as human beings and humanity for us moving forward. The problem is, is that we're designed to look at marketing from numbers and statistics. And, you know, I watched a TED Talk recently about um, this guy who who bought a yogurt factory uh, called Chobani. And uh, this founder basically, you know, took people that were being laid off and built one of the most successful brands out there when it came to yogurt manufacturing. And um, he said something that was very true, and that is the CEO playbook is broke. We need to have an anti-CEO playbook. And that's the same with marketing. We need an anti-marketing playbook. We need something that's based on values and and our purpose as opposed to metrics and numbers. And unfortunately, we're looking at spreadsheets and making decisions based on data, not emotion. Yeah, that's true. And you, re, I mean, reminding me of that talk uh, opens the door. It gives me uh, one of the keys that I talked about during that talk was the fact that all of these social engineering, these social triggers work. We know they do, and they can be delivered unethically, and it makes it a little more salacious to talk about the unethical practices. 
But we can learn lessons from each one of these things that work, and we can find ways to apply them ourselves that we're comfortable with, that are, that are ethical. So why don't we try and do that? Why don't we try and kind of go through? So what, like, tell me where most marketing campaigns fail today then. Let's, let's find where there is. And what do the people who are like right on point do about that? So the, the X factor is, is content distribution. And, you know, that's the topic that I'm a big believer of right now. And it's, it's the reason why marketing campaigns fail. So 90% of content strategies today will talk about how to create a content, how to create content, how to build an editorial board, but very few focus on the publishing of that content. Now, most people, you know, I've come up with eight critical entities when it comes to distributing content. Uh, but people are only doing two, and that is relying on their organic channels uh, and, and relying on their digital assets. So th- those are the two that most people have control of because most companies do not give them a budget or allow them to build a sustainable distribution ecosystem. So to answer your first question, the reason why most marketing campaigns fail is because we fail at publishing and we are not in-house media thinkers. So we just spray and pray that you get traction. So we we put our energy into the content creation, into the narrative, into we probably pay very close attention to our who our avatar is and what the message is. We create some good and compelling content, but at the end of the day, we don't leverage that content effectively. Absolutely. And there's six other pillars, you know, when we talk about content distributions, there's the repurposing of content, which some of us do. There's building a campaign. There's finding partners that you know of that have high followings. There's targeting influencers that you may or may not have that have a large audience base. There's exposure points like, you know, digital publishing houses and and media magazines that have large email lists. And then there's the paid strategy that everybody is scared to talk about because most companies don't have they have an ad budget for conversion, they don't have an ad budget for distribution of content. So here's something that most people will not tell you, your content campaign is designed to fail if your company doesn't empower you to distribute that content. Yeah, yeah, and for smaller creators, that's it, it becomes almost a pride point or a, for me it's a stubbornness. You know, like the Facebook algorithm, when Facebook, changed and went from the fact that you know when they fooled me once you know build it build a community here reach out to people invest in our platform to reach your community and then they did the about face and says now in order to reach them give me money they basically when the when the extortion event occurred it just pissed me off to the point that I, I, i'm probably now just a stubborn old curmudgeon where i'm going i do not want to give you guys a nickel after you screwed me last time but that's i'm bite, i'm biting what my dad used to say i'm biting off my own nose to spite my face well here's the thing steve here's the thing okay so facebook has this thing called facebook groups great i'm a member for a bunch of these groups they even control the view access point of the comments in those groups because it's sorted by default by the top comments, not by the recent activity. You have to go in every time and change your view from top or popular comments to recent activity to see what people are posting. To, to, to pull the algorithm out of it. Exactly. So, you know, that's the challenge that we have. So I'm not saying, listen, I'm not those, uh, you know, tinfoil guys that are saying Facebook is evil. I'm saying platforms have specific levels of control. You have a choice. 
you can either embrace their ways and and work around it or find ways to work around it, or you choose to be on the other side of the fence and go, right, I'm just going to take the 2% views and find my viewership elsewhere. Those are your choices right now. One thing we're doing right now is mirroring groups. So something that, that Facebook has done is they have these different groups, and you can set your ads to target people that follow certain people on groups. So if I have an avatar and I know that my avatar follows Oprah, Tony Robbins and Robin Sharma, I can set my ads to target the people that like those groups and have a better narrative. So again, I'm not the evil marketer that's saying I'm going to, you know, work with this. I'm just complying with Facebook and going, right, give me what you have and let me leverage it. Do you have a framework for understanding of the eight of the eight places that you can leverage your content? Every piece of content isn't going to fit all eight. So, but determining which channels you should be repurposing your content into, do you have a, a, a framework that helps people decide that? Sure. Yeah. So essentially, yeah, I do have, I have, I am as a storyteller, I like to build icons and visuals. So I have this thing called the content distribution wheel and I get my clients and my friends and people that do content distribution and I go take what you have that you're currently doing. And it's typically the organic and the channels and some of them will pick the repurposing. And so three out of the eight pillars are being implemented right now across the board on average. And, and there's five other elements that could be done better. So can you give can you give me one tangible example of each of the other five? Because the first three we all understand. But uh, first of all, I think one was partnering. Uh, so the ones that people are doing well are organic channels, uh, sorry, channels, organic, and repurposing. Those are the three things that people have learned to craft and spend their time in. The parts that, the parts that are missing is building campaigns, finding partners, the influence model, exposure points and paid media. Okay, so building campaigns, what's that? Right, so building campaigns is something that we have started to build through landing pages and click funnels. And what we've done is, is when we're launching, we spend a lot of time building a integrated campaign. So if we're launching it on social, we're launching it on email, we're having a live chat backend system that's talking to these people when they're coming back on our landing pages or websites. So uh, what a campaign really is, is integrating all your assets to design communication and exposure at the same time, and then evaluating each of those assets and what the metrics are for each of those assets. So is a big part of that using UTMs or codes so that you know what traffic, what, what which of your assets is generating the traffic to your landing page, which is drawing people to you? Absolutely. And we've also learned new things like um, if let's say you have a big uh, in print, I'm going to say something very new to you and something that we left in the 80s. But let's say you have a big in print following where people, you know, still get direct marketing, which still exists today, by the way. What will. Do, yeah. Oh, 100 percent. I, I worked for a, a gaming client that got millions of leads through uh, through in print. But again, their avatar was people over 50s and 60s which believe it or not people actually fill that stuff up so um what we do is we create uh discount codes in those print uh subscriptions and we make them unique so if someone uses the discount code they actually end up we end up crediting it to in print so there is a way there's an offline to online strategy where you can take offline marketing and turn it into an online tracking tool so the, so the so that the uh the the campaign strategy is making sure that you are it's really a tracking strategy, making sure that you're in all of the different in all of the different channels that you want to be in, but that you've got proper reporting set up so that you can evaluate. 
100%. And, you know, you can also use that for affiliates as well. So let's say if you're taking one of these elements and partnering up with an affiliate, then you can set up a tracking code for the affiliate. So now you can track their performance as well. Well, mentioning affiliates, that really brings us into the influencer strategy, right? Absolutely. Now, influencer has three types of uh, influencers. You've got the traditional influencer, which is what I call the celebrity or the hero. And that is, you know, someone like, you know, me being on the Steve Dotto, you know, podcast. Yeah, that for me, I would call you as the influencer. You have access to it. Yeah, that's exactly Um, what it is, Bosco. You remember that. (laughs) I've done my homework, Steve. I've done my homework. Um, The second thing is, is having what we call a paid partnership where you're paying that affiliate a commission. And that's where most of most of the marketing is. But there's a new thing now called uh, joint ventures and white labeling. And that is when, you know, you either share 50 50 of the profits or you white label someone's services or your product under someone else's brand. And that's pretty popular as well. Yeah, that's 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 very compelling with different apps that you can be doing in different services. So, so those, okay. So now we've, I think we're up to, we're, we're up to five. We have three more to go. We've covered, we've covered, uh, campaigns. We've covered influences. Uh, we've covered partners. The other thing is exposure points. Now exposure points is places that you do not have brand existence. Right. And, and when I talk about places, I'm talking about digital places. So they could be networks, they could be groups, they could be people with high equity email lists or audiences as well. But this is people that you don't know of that you need to build an ecosystem. Most of the time, people will look at PR. So a great example is the Daily Hive. Right. The Daily Hive has a massive following. Um, and. Um, you know, when we ran our ugly Christmas sweater party campaigns, we partnered up with the Daily Hive. And every time the Daily Hive covered our ugly Christmas sweater party events, we got a ton of ticket sales because a lot of families followed the Daily Hive. And back in the day, it used to be called Van City Buzz. Another one is Miss 604. So our best exposure point for families in Vancouver was Miss 604, uh, Rebecca, and she has a very strong ethical system where she'll only promote events and talk about events that A, she's passionate about, that she feels that her, her audience would listen to, and she's figured out her persona. So once we build that relationship and we got to know her, every year we counted on her as an exposure point. But that took a while. Now, what Bosco's referring to there, just so we can boil back for our podcast audience that it doesn't, is some colloquial program programming that he did. Bosco's now living in Australia, but he used to live where I live here in Vancouver. And he did a, a Christmas camp. They did a very successful Christmas campaign every year to raise money. And the this the um, the the platforms that he's talking about, Miss Six Hundred Four, Daily Have now, those are primarily local. Uh, local feeds that are on Facebook, on Instagram. They are local uh, influencers who have a really strong colloquial following or regional following within the greater Vancouver area. And so they know their audience. They know their audience. They know their community. Yeah, we call them digital publishers, Steve. And so um, these are people that have blogs, they have social followings, they have email databases. And, um, you know, the, the reason why most content strategies fail is most people have a content strategy for that time, for that period. What I like to do is, is I think about this from the long game. And that is, if you're a content media house, you need to build relationships with these exposure points over a long term period. And that's when you have a sustainable plan. So, you know, I was on board for the for the Christmas party uh, group for three years. And in our first year, our goal was to build relationships with all these digital publisher houses. Within our second and third year, because we already had a relationship, 
it basically became something that we relied on and it became part of our eco network, you know, our system. There was a two-way street to that, though. I mean, certainly there was money flowing back and forth, but they were both of those uh, entities got some really good uh, got some really good uh, interaction and connection going from telling the story of because 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 the story you guys were telling was a good story, eh? So they so so they benefited as well. So it was very much it was very much a collaboration as opposed to just having them do a story about a product. Absolutely. And it's not all of it was paid. Some of it was us, you know, giving them tickets to the events and letting them be part of the actual experience. And you gotta remember that digital publishers are looking for good content. They're looking for great stories. And, you know, um, when someone has families that want to know what to do in Vancouver, especially during Christmas time, that's a big experiential thing that they're covering. So, you know, if it's great for your audience, why wouldn't you want great content? If 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 someone can provide your audience with value, insights, and something that's relevant to them, why would you not want to empower it, right? So that's the concept of exposure is is getting exposure to things that matter to your audience. And then the final the final piece, which we've talked about a little bit, is the paid media strategy, where many people spend time on you know promoting a landing page, but they don't have a digital reach distribution budget to get eyeballs to good content. So where are we at then with paid with paid traffic? Is it is it still is it a uh, is it still a Facebook and Google ad universe, or are we getting are we getting a lot more granular as far as finding other other avenues? Well, I mean, look, YouTube's great. They have this thing called the True View, and and I'm a fan of it, and you're a fan of it. And and at the end of the day, you know, what I liked about the YouTube feature was you'd pay for a video ad that basically had a certain period of time that was viewed before it was considered a viewpoint. So it was based on it was based on quality audiences as opposed to just an impression. Um, and I think we need to see more of that. I think the biggest game changer is people come back and say, look, we're going to change our advertising platform where you only pay for your ad if it actually gets viewed. And if everybody did that across the board, I think we would have an even stronger uh, reach and distribution budget. The problem is, is that YouTube's the only one that so far that I know of that's actually gone down that path. Yeah, Facebook Facebook cloaks everything in uncertainty and, and, and it's it's hard to tell exactly what's happening. I would say Google though. Google does a pretty good job of, of giving us the analytics that we need to make good decisions. And and Facebook is almost like you have to you have to just kind of buy in on their program and trust their algorithm. Like trust us, we're evil enough to manipulate you. We can manipulate you. We can manipulate your audience as well. Right. And and you know, I mean, I I think like most personal brands and speakers and service providers, we've had to look at all these distribution techniques, especially now when COVID hit, where we had to ask ourselves like, what are we going to do? I went from you know, in-person conferences to digital conferences. I went from media interviews to podcasting. I'm scheduled for 45 podcasts. This is probably my 13th or 14th one off the 45 for this year. And, you know, we have to focus on distribution to stay top of mind, to stay current, and more importantly, for us to feel like we're thriving in this in this particular moment. So the pressure to distribute content is now bigger than ever before. It's just what type of content are you producing? We really don't create any fire and forget content anymore, do we? We're moving away from it, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It's it, you really have to nurture. You have to do your own nurture campaigns. You you have to foster it through the through. Uh, I'm noticing that. I, I'm spending. You know, with COVID, uh, we've seen a huge boost in our YouTube channel, uh, and with that, along with that, has come a an unexpected 
requirement on me to engage far more time in YouTube comments than I ever did before, just because there are so many more comments. And it would be, it would be insincere of me to just let them slide by and not engage. Right. And, and also we're moving. Okay. So the other thing we have to talk about is the audience adaptivity. And that's a big trend that I'm finding right now. So I'm, I'm going to use the podcast world, for example. I was talking to a friend of ours, a mutual friend in Victoria that focuses on productivity. And, uh, you know, I think you already know who that is. It's Vardy. <laughs> yes. Mike Vardy. And, uh, okay. and we were talking about listener bases and how, you know, some we were testing, you know, like different times of the day when people listen to our podcast because, um, you know, the commute, because people were working from home, they're not commuting anymore in the morning or in the evening. And those used to be our high podcast times. So what what do we need to do to produce content that adapts to an, a changing audience? Well, maybe it's changing the time of the podcast. Maybe it's having a functionality that has video and audible. Maybe it's emailing your database to let them know that you've produced the podcast. So as podcast producers and content producers, we have to be able to adapt and make sure that our content is versatile to meet the demand of that audience member. And we're seeing that now more than ever before. Well, that's exactly what I was talking about, about nurturing content through. The thing is, when you create a good piece of content, there's a kind of a, I think that we have, that content producers have a certain expectation um, and we were raised with it. It's, it's an ethos that we were always taught that we would be rewarded for good work, right? So you create a good video, you create a good podcast. We have a compelling interview here and you and I walk away from this really satisfied saying, darn Bosco and Steve were on point in this. We, we, we shared some great content and now we expect as a result of that, that when we go to publish this, that the internet gods will smile benevolently upon us and bequeath us with thousands of views and downloads because we did a good job. Well done. But it doesn't work that way. It's not a fair world. We that's that's the beginning of it. That now we have to we have to make sure people watch it. So we have recently started to send out about seven times as much email as we ever used to, whereas we used to do one email a week. Now every time we have a new piece of content, we share it. Now we're trying to list segment on our email list, but we are letting people know when we create a good piece of content. And what this does though, is it means that I'm not going to create any crappy content because I don't want to spam my community with a piece that's not great. Whereas before I might just publish a piece that I was only so, so on because it, you know, it, it, it's on its own, right? It kind of set it off and see if it survives. <laughs> but now it's, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I have noticed as far as, as far as the, 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 the expectation that I have to do. Otherwise I'm just, Otherwise, we're wasting our time by creating good and compelling content. Right. I call it the content hustle. And what the content hustle for me is, is having a checklist and having a, a game plan of how to get this content distributed. You know, this interview for me, in my head, goes to all my partners, all my clients, more importantly, uh, places and conferences that I'm targeting for the future, because this is a hot topic. A lot of the content that we're having in this interview is current trends. And as a speaker, I talk about current trends all the time. So I'm going to have this particular piece of content at all my different show points and not just to supply the audience with that information, but more importantly, use it as part of the hustle. And so I think that that's the key part is you and I are a little bit more awakened to the fact that we've done this for quite some time and we know that the, the game doesn't stop 
when you produce the content, the game continues and it just begins after the content has been produced. But many people still live in this digital dystopia and bubble where they feel like, oh, I'm just going to produce this great content and everybody's going to love it. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, the algorithm is your friend, but it's got to be nudged at the end of the day. You, and it's, it's our responsibility. So let's let's wrap things up with the a question that I know you will love. What's pissing you off of there? What's your biggest pet peeve today with what people are doing in the digital marketing space? All right, that's a good one. I would say I have two big pet peeves. The first one is this whole... Um, so we're in this we're in this ISO vibe where people are either surviving, thriving, or vibing. That's the, those are the three labels that I that I've I've come up with. And surviving, thriving, or what? Surviving, thriving, or vibing. V i b i vibing. Yeah. Okay, I, I understand the first two. The yeah. last one, it must be some young folks speak. So vibing, vibing is you're indifferent to everything. You've been a digital uh, nomad for quite some time. You've been embracing isolation before it became a fashion trend, and you're going with the flow. But more importantly, nothing has changed. You've just basically continued to push, push your, your digital presence. My biggest pet peeve is people that are plastering this seven figure success, like follow my ebook course because I was able to get seven figures doing this particular technique. It's a technique that's worked in the nineties and people are still using it today. You know, started I started with the, the real estate marketplace, how to, how to, how to buy, uh, what, what, how to buy foreclosed properties. And, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and it, it goes back to this whole unethical marketing perspective that you talked about years back and I was really impressed with your landing page recently uh, and your your website because you talked about your story you talked about where you were in life and how you had to change the course and re-engineer everything including your beliefs and that was your story and that was your marketing value and it, it, it you know anyone that is going through that stage could relate to that it wasn't this BS marketing that was based on hype. It was like, hey, this is me. This is my story. This is what I've done. If you're interested, I'd love to jam with you. For me, if I hear the words, and, and it always starts with seven figure. Yeah, it always is seven figure. And so for me, or the, the other line is turning people who are making six figures into seven figures. And you know what? For yeah. me, that is that is just... It's exhausting. It's old. It's an old cosmetic that needs to stop in marketing. So that's my biggest first pet peeve. The second, the second pet peeve that that's like really aching me right now, is um, the amount of uh, corrections in people's content. So you know, I'm part of different groups and part of different videos, and honesty is a big one for me. And you lose me when your credibility starts to get questioned. So when I see someone making false claims or changing the narrative or changing the story, that really bothers me. You know, I, I, there was a guy in Australia or New Zealand, I think it's Australia actually that I, that I follow. And I approached him about potentially doing a joint venture. And one of the things that he said to me point blank was he doesn't do rev share. And then I subscribed to his email list. And two days later, I'm seeing all these offers from him where he's partnered with other people. And right away, that just, you know, for me, that, 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 credibility is important and i think that i think we've we're in an age now where if we're still trying to fake it to make it he, people see through that man like steve you and i have been doing 
I hope they do. I mean, you and I have been working on this for quite some People time. People are still teaching that, though. People yeah. are still teaching that. And that that needs to stop. So, you know, I think I don't know if it's if I don't know if it, you know, it's global events or recent events that, you know, have changed our lenses. But your audience has become smarter. Your audience can see through the noise. Your audience are human people that are evolving. So stop talking to them like this is the 90s and they've just discovered the internet, you know? And, you know, we see people right now selling content and courses in USB sticks and saying, you know, I really owe you an apology because I want to send you this USB stick, but you've got to pay for the shipping. And I'm sitting there going, why not just host it on the cloud, right? So. Yeah, we get it. So let's change. Let's change. Let's change the narrative. Let's let's come from a place of ethics. What's your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeves. I I, I have to admit, I like yours. My my biggest pet peeves are people not understanding their media, people not understanding like people uh, the passion this business of video. You know, everybody's going to video and they're talking about video like it's one thing. Video is like it's like uh, so you you've got to get in video for marketing. And I'm saying, why don't you just say you have to use words for marketing? Because that's what it, you know. It's a bill. So video and and not understanding uh, that the difference between intent and interruption. You know the the I love what I love everything about marketing with video. I mean, obviously, I'm a video guy, and YouTube has been a has been a, just a, a joyous journey for me, learning about YouTube and building a community on YouTube. But people have to recognize that when they watch a YouTube video that people enter that video with intent because they've come through search. They've come to the YouTube and what's your journey? You go and you search for a video. So that to me is, so that creates a baseline relationship that we have right away because they're not there to judge me. They're there to learn when they post a video. And then it's up to me to engage them and to bring them into my community and to start, you know, start building a relationship. When you post on Facebook, when you post a live stream, it's interruptive. It's right in the middle of the like you're. I'm there. I'm there trying to find out find that the, the you know the the uh, uh, you know cats falling off the back of couches to make me laugh. And all of a sudden, somebody's posting some serious video that's going to teach me something. Well, I don't give a damn at that point. There, it's interrupting, and so I'm not going to view that video that way. You have to create intent with every piece of content that you create. So just posting a video and putting it up onto a year into your feed isn't what you have to, you have to, so scheduling a live stream, re respecting your audience, planning ahead. You don't post a video if you're in business when you're bored because you're bored. I mean, we just don't do that. Yeah, so so here's the thing, Steve. You talk about, you know, you talk about going back to the intent, right? Here's something that I want to 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 end with, and it's, it has to do with split testing, which, which um, is something that I want to allude to, which is this. We need to become better experimenters and we need to treat our marketing initiatives with an experimental activity. And so we talk about split testing and I wanna, I wanna use a great example. So I, as a digital strategist, came on board and helped a Catholic school uh, with their digital enrollment. Now I want, I want you to think about this, Catholic school, digital enrollment. These two things never existed back in the day. You had to go into a school to get your kid, you know, kid in, in, enrolled. So we built a website, we built a digital landing page and application form, and we were running ads for the Catholic school. Now here's the- Sorry, Farley's just saying hello to everybody. There, go, go, go downstairs, Farley. Hi, Farley. <laughs> the um, beauty of recording your podcast at home. I, lo I love the fact that he actually made an appearance. Um, so we basically ran these ads and I said to them, listen, 
before we come up with a game plan, let's test what creative and copywriting works. So we had a picture of uh, the principal for one week. We had a picture of the school for the second week. We had a picture of the teacher in the classroom on the third week. And we had a picture of this cheeky smile of a boy smiling. Um, and we tested them. And we had, obviously, permission rights to, to publish these, these photographs of these people. And we got lessons every week. We got data lessons. Like there was tons of impressions for the classroom. But the one that converted, the one that actually brought us a ton of conversion, before I tell you, what do you think that, which, which picture do you think worked? The kid, right? I knew the answer. I knew the answer, but I wanted to experiment and I wanted them to be involved. And and the results were so deafening where for every conversion we got for the other ads, this picture of this boy was converting at 300%, at 500% every week. And so when we landed on that avatar, we said, okay, right. The connection piece is the children. The connection piece is what this whole concept, this whole intent of this marketing campaign is, is it's for the betterment of the kids. So when you're speaking to that avatar of parents, that's the one that related the most to, to them. But as marketers, most people will rush to a marketing campaign. Most people will spray stuff. Very few people are taking the time to experiment. Here's another one. Why are we coming up with the avatars ourselves? Why don't we survey our clients and let them answer those questions and tell us why they're the avatar? Why are we not investing in the experimental stage? And that's the most important yeah, we thing just, right we now. We recently did that for a new project we're doing, and I was, I was floored by the feedback that we got. And the language that comes back to you from your community when you pull your community is your love language to talk back to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I wanted to end with. I think I think we've covered a lot of great things, but I really, really appreciate the fact that, you know, you've given me a platform to talk about some of the things I'm really passionate about. Inevitably, whenever I spend time talking with Bosco, my team hates it because I come back from a conversation with Bosco saying, hey, you know this thing that we're doing? We have to change it. There's a better way to do things. So it's always make work projects when I have conversations with Bosco. And I would like to thank Bosco for the time he spent with us and sharing so generously with us. And I also want to thank you for spending the time with us as well here on Gray Matters. Now, I do have a few favors to ask. If you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so in your podcast platform of choice. And if you can help us get the word out about Gray Matters, I appreciate that as well. We aren't doing a lot of paid traffic or any of the things that we're talking about in today's podcast with this podcast. So instead... I am counting on viral sharing and organic growth. So if there are people who are in your circle who should be part of the gray zone, make sure that you share Gray Matters with Steve Dotto with them. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you. Till next time, I'm Steve Dotto. Have fun storming a castle. <laughs>